Hello and welcome. Thank you very much for joining us for the latest edition of Behind the Goals. Um, Behind the Goals is a new Supporters Direct Scotland podcast hosted by myself, Andrew Jenkins, uh, Head of Supporters Direct Scotland and Mr Alan Russell, uh, Chair of Rafe Rover Supporters Trust and Supporters Direct Scotland board members. A lot of titles in there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, I keep uh, on collecting them. <laughs> uh, for a little while, every meeting I went to, I got a new title. I nearly had to create one for myself this afternoon, but we'll, we'll keep that... Uh, you know, to the minimum, it's probably fraudulent. I almost did. <laughs> <laughs> so no more titles in the last week, uh, thankfully. No, no, no. Um, but um, we're looking forward to this, uh, that we've survived from the first episode. Yeah, it was very encouraging. We were, were learning uh, this as we go. So uh, we didn't even know where, what to do once we'd recorded uh, edition, episode one of the podcast last week. Um, but we worked that out. Um, we've got it on SoundCloud. We've got it listed on iTunes. And we've now seem to have got it listed on most of the podcast platforms, Acast, Stitcher, Opencast. If we're if if there's one that you like listening to and we've not got it on there already, uh, drop us a line and let us know, and we'll add it to that. Um, you can uh, contact us at behind the goals at hotmail dot com. Let us know where we should get listed if we're not listed there already. Yep, absolutely. Um, we're going to dive straight into the next episode, which is a shame that we didn't get more time to speak to Stuart. Yeah, I mean, Stuart Fuller that we're interviewing today. Um, he is the chairman of Lewis FC. Um, and when we started the call with him, he said, I've got about 15 minutes. And I think we talked for about 30 in the end. It must be our engaging personalities <laughs> that kept him on the hook. Or maybe he just couldn't be... Or that appearance yeah, fee. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't politely find a way to hang up the phone on us. <laughs> um, but for those of you who don't know of Stuart or of Lewis FC, um, uh, Stuart is he's also a writer. He's written, written a book called The Football Tourist. Uh, finds himself up in Scotland regularly. Um, he went to a match that I sadly couldn't get to at the weekend. He was at Wraith Rovers, uh, sorry, Airdrie against Wraith Rovers. It was at Airdrie. I'm a Wraith Rovers supporter and he managed to see my team struggling to a last minute equaliser with an own goal uh, when I unfortunately couldn't get there. Um, he's, as I say, he's the chairman of Lewis FC, uh, who you may have read quite a lot about. You know, probably you read more about Lewis FC for their size than you would expect because they do some very innovative uh, things, as you'll hear about in the podcast. And he's also on the board of Supporters Direct. So I've been joined by Stuart Fuller. Uh, you're you're on the board of uh, Lewis FC, fan-owned Lewis FC, and Supporters Direct. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong there, Stuart. Uh, that's correct. I'm um, so chairman of Lewis. Uh, on the board of Sports Direct and also on the board of the Isthmian League. Great, but the first thing we need to talk about is that you're a lapsed West Ham fan. So just <laughs> just just tell us a little bit about how um, you, you know being a disenchanted West Ham fan led you to Lewis FC. Yeah, well, there's there's no real logical rhyme or reason um, for the jump from Lewis or to Lewis. I'd say um, uh, I'm come from a family of West Ham fans. Always been to West Ham. Um, when my eldest daughter was born, uh, I started taking her when she was really young. We had season tickets and, you know, we, we saw some good stuff. And even now, looking back and under the sort of Devonshire, sorry, the Devonshire, the uh, Kerbishley days, mm. um, they were actually good times. You know, we were stable, <laughs> we were mid-table. We played some good football. Uh, and then it all sort of went wrong, I would say, just after Zola and then um, things just just weren't right on and off the pitch. And Sullivan and Gold coming in, um, they really did very little to uh, uh, to endear me with a young family to bring them to to football. Um, it just got uh, it, the, the the costs were getting prohibitive. Um, 
you know, thirty odd quid to take a, a child to watch a game is just ridiculous. At the same time, I had a friend who, um, who was based down in Brighton. He said, "Well, you know, why don't you come and give this little club down here a look at?" Who was Lewis? Never heard of them. Never seen them before. Went and watched them. Really enjoyed it. Football was terrible, but really enjoyed it off the pitch. And um, over the course of the sort of the next year, year and a half, got more involved with them. Went sort of like home and away and. It was a great environment for you know for taking my daughter. My daughter was sort of seven or eight years old, and she could wander around the ground, and people would keep an eye on her. And it, it was just a really nice environment. And then, sort of two years later, was when I joined the board and sort of got head first really into the um, into the club. And I've never looked back. So, when you started watching them, was that before or after the supporter ownership journey started? It was before. So, I my first game at Lewis was. Um, in quite early on in the season where they were in the conference premier. Okay. So where they'd been promoted and then all the, essentially the funding had been taken away. Um, and I joined, uh, I was, I joined the board at the first ever elections. So okay. they went supporters direct the July, I think it was 2010. And I joined in October, 2011, the board. I was doing a lot with the club in, you know, in that time anyway, but that's when the first um, uh, supporter or fan-owned uh, elections were. And um, you, you said you said there that uh, you hadn't really heard of Lewis FC at the time, but you know, I, I think lots of people have heard of the club now. So, what's happened since you've um, become involved, and and what are the kind of things that you've done to to put the, put Lewis FC on the map? Well, I mean, one of the things we've got is is the original sort of six who who took it into fan, uh, to fan ownership and then a couple of us who, who joined soon after none of us have got background in football and one and a lot of us um you know one of the guys has got a background in finance a couple of others in marketing publishing things like that and what we we very quickly realized was that um lewis is in a is in a hugely hugely competitive space you know, you, we're we're on the doorstep of Brighton now, but back then, you know, Brighton wasn't so much of a problem. They were playing at the With Dean, and 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 uh, things were a little bit different. But they're, they're, you're not only competing on a Saturday afternoon with football; you're competing with the cinema or shopping or things like that. Yeah. And where we we sort of try to go was to say, okay, how we encourage people who wouldn't normally come to a football match to come to a football match. How do we get people to know there is a football team on their doorstep? So again, it was about, okay, let's try and do things a bit differently. Why do we have to follow the the well-trodden route of, well, this is, we do it this way because that's what football clubs do. So we came up with concepts around the match day posters, which were the ones that really sort of grabbed people's attention hmm. and got us well known. And again, some of those were, you know, we perhaps sailed a little bit closer to the wind with some of them. Um, but the idea was that we were we were trying to theme particular games. So every poster reflected something about that game. Now some of them were really obvious, and even you know today we've changed our approach slightly. But you know when we played Walton Casuals last year, it's no surprise that the poster had the Walton family. Or if we play South Park, <laughs> it's no surprise you've got characters from South Park. But, but but there's always some kind of link between the poster and the game or the opponents. 
Um, so we sort of built on that. We we then looked at things like the program and we said, okay, we're a non-league club. We get crowds of five, six hundred. But why does that mean we have to produce the standard bog standard program that has, you know, all the things you see in a program that are there because someone says, well, that's what you put in a program. We're like, no, you know, if we want to have an article about, you know, um, a, a footballer from the 1920s or we want to put something in there about Lewis Cricket Club and, and, and something like that, we will. Mm. And so we produced then, so we, we, we started on the posters, then we, then we looked at the program and then we took the program online. Um, and then we, 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 you start looking at things. You think, okay, what else do people enjoy coming through the gate? Well, okay, they, they're like a beer. Well, the great thing is that, Lewis, you can have a beer whilst watching the game on the terraces. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that we have to serve, you know, Cronenberg, Foster's, Strongman? No, absolutely not. We're very lucky. We've got Harvey's Brewery around the corner. They support us fantastically. So we started being able to offer different beer. Um, and even now, if you go to the club, you can buy, I think it's something in the region of 22 different beers from Harvey's. I think I'm ripping up my Wraith Rovers season ticket. I think I'm going to be a football <laughs> tourist like you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we decided, to, okay, well, food. All right. Well, why does it have to be burgers and chips and things like that? Why can't we do something different? So we work with the caterers who brought in different foods. So we had things like, you know, bunny chow or Thai green curry and things like that. All the time, just trying to innovate a little bit more. Mm. And, and then, and then well, obviously, we had things like the, um, the beach huts, mm-hmm. um, which got us a, quite a lot of publicity. Um, and I'm still amazed nobody else has copied that. Because <laughs> that's, just, that's just such a huge revenue earner. For any club that's got a spare bit of their ground that they can't use for terracing or anything like that, you know, Whack, a, whack some concrete down, go and buy from B&Q a four five hundred quid shed, put a lock on it, <laughs> hollow out the back, you've got a beach hut, you charge £200 a game, you've got your money back in three games. <laughs> wow. That's, um, I mean, we, we don't have the luxury, sadly, in Scotland of being able to drink at the football, but um, that's, that's really interesting. I, I wondered how successful has it been, really, in terms of how many more members have you had? How much more interest have you had since you've done things in a different way that, you know, having that innovative approach to the, the marketing of the product? Uh, so for the first year, we, we, our ownership was restricted to what we called life owners. So it was someone who was prepared to put in a thousand pound for their their single share. We had about eighty people do that, and that that money helped us pay off um, the immediate debt for, from the from the club and give us a little bit to work on. And the plan was then the following July, so a year after we um, we became uh, supporter owned, we opened it up to to annual owners, and then we grew that. Year two, it was up to about 900. Year three, up to about 1,000. And it sort of stagnated a little bit. Um, and even sort of last, uh, the end of last year, we was up to about 1,100 at the end of last season. Now, we're at almost 1,300 today. Um, and a lot of that has been down to the, you know, the promotion of the Equality FC and, and, and the budget parity, which is fantastic. But we're also finding we're, we're now reaching a lot more of our local fans again. So people who may have lived in Lewis who didn't really know that there was a football club there. So we, we've created our ownership scheme. So there is some benefits for people who live locally. They can get discounts in local shops. 
and it helps the club. And so we've got very much, we, we've sort of got the town centre. We will have people in the town centre tomorrow morning. Um, little things like that. We're trying to just get back into the local community. It's quite astounding, really, that those numbers of, of the, the ownership numbers you have, comparing them to the gates that you get as, at, at the stadium. It's the kind of thing that I, I guess a lot of clubs could only dream about, you know, having, having so many owners compared to, to, to fans. It's almost a, it's a, it's, it's an attractive option. It's a little bit of a nightmare come renewal time, I can tell yeah, you. Yes, I look after the renewals, so it's like I have all my whole family working on a production line of yeah. new badges, cards, certificates. But just that level of engagement is phenomenal. It really is. Yeah, and um, what's really interesting is there's still there's still a way to go. Certainly in in terms of local, we, we've we've picked up a lot of. Uh, owners out of the US. We've got over 100 in the US. Mm. And some of these owners are, are very active. You know, we, it, probably once every six weeks we'll have someone from the US will come over uh, and they'll tie their, their visit to the UK around coming to see us. And uh, we even have one one guy who is a, is a fantastic supporter of the club who sent his 17-year-old son over last summer to do an internship. I mean, we're a non-league football club. Mm. <laughs> we got this guy arriving to do an internship with us, and it's like, well, what do we do with him? <laughs> well, I don't know. Paint the beach huts. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. It was like, put this up, you know, clean that, do this, do that. Um, you know, and, and we, we gave him the opportunity. It was in pre-season friendly, so, you know, we made him kit man a couple of times. So he got to sit on the bench and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it works really well. You mentioned there a couple of minutes ago as well the Quality FC uh, thing. I know we're short for for time, so we definitely don't want to to miss that topic out in this chat with you. Can you tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So again, the the club is very much um, our mindset is one of uh, asking questions around why can't we do something as opposed to why could we do something, and we've been thinking about this idea of um, parity um, for quite a while. And this year is the the, the 100th anniversary of um, uh, the suffrage movement and the women uh, getting the vote. So we thought it was, we, we, we started exploring this last year, 2016, if it was possible. Um, and we felt it was the right thing to do. And, you know, it's divided you know, a lot of people. A lot of people don't agree. Even a lot of our fans and a lot of our owners don't necessarily agree with it. But we saw a way we, we could make it happen. Um, we put a lot of thought in it. We had a project team running on this from about January, trying to find if we could find financial backers for it. And we were lucky. We, we got some people who were interested in backing it um, for a period of time. So it's going to be three years. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see where it goes. But the, 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 it's interesting because the actual principle is, is budget parity. Uh, it's been reported it's pay parity. It's not quite the same budget parity means we we the our women's first team have ex- access to exactly the same budget as our men's do um so because otherwise you can't really do pay parity because players all get paid different amounts you know we've got mm-hmm. a, a 18 or 17 year old kid who, who's on 20 quid whereas we've got somebody else who's on 200 pound mm-hmm. in, in our team so you can't do the pay parity um, but budget parity, and it, it's worked. I mean, we, we got some huge media attention. We, we we probably deal with inquiries every day about something. Um, I'd hate to be 
an assessor at certain there's certain there's certain universities that um, they're going to have a lot of similar um, theses come the summer. Yeah. Because I've answered about twenty of them, and, and I say the same things with each of them, which is quite funny. Um, but you know, I mean, we 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 found that we're sort of constantly fighting on the. Um, uh, on the parity on the women's side, you know, we've, we've got the things going on now with um, WSL, um, which aren't making things easy, but we're trying to work through those. So yeah, for us, we just felt it was the right thing to do. It was the right time for us to do things. Um, and we hope we'll, we'll see some success on the field. Um, what's been really interesting is a lot of the comments in the summer were based around, oh, are you just doing this? Or are you doing this um, at the expense of the men's team? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're currently sitting here and we're top of the league, so that's obviously a no. Yeah. Um, and that's actually made the conversations a lot easier to have, the fact that the men's team are doing well on the same budget as they had last year, which was the same as the year before. Um, so that's good. And, and the, the women's team are, are doing well as well. And third in the league, they're in the League Cup quarterfinals, still in the FA Cup, so... Mm. There's positive stuff going on there as well. And I guess. I, I guess when you demonstrate that you the, the money, the additional money that you're bringing in to help finance this, uh, this initiative, um, I think that that probably helps as well. And, and I think one of the things that struck me when I was reading up on on Lewis uh, before before we got on the the call with you, uh, was the degree of t- transparency you have uh, at the club yes. there. Uh, something really encouraging to me. I mean, Supporters Direct Scotland. We've been doing some work around you know trying to find out more about all the member clubs in the Scottish professional league and which ones publish their accounts, which ones you know, are clear about who owns them and so on. Um, and I, when I found the section on the Lewis website about financial info and I'm making that completely transparent, I thought, wow, this is, this is something unusual, having searched, you know, searched long and hard for the same kind of information about Scottish football clubs. And within, yeah. a, within a minute, I found out exactly you know, your profit and loss, your turnover, okay. how much you spend on wages you're able to demonstrate very, very easily that, you know, this initiative that you started you know, recently you know, isn't diluting the amount of money that you're putting towards no. your men's team. Uh, and it's, it's, addition, it's additional um, money mm. that you're raising and money that you're spending uh, to, to try and achieve something that's, that's quite unique and, and groundbreaking. Yeah, and we, again, we, we always said that, that we want to be transparent, we want to be honest. I mean, as I say, one of our, one of our founding directors who's still on the board now he's heavily involved in the finance industry so to him it's incredibly important that we have integrity in everything we do we are open and honest because if we're not it reflects very badly on him yeah so we 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 all agreed okay yeah we'll put our we put our budget out there and and i go into the boardrooms week in week out and and it's amazing i have people some clubs will say to me yeah, I saw that, but that's not your real budget, is it? Come on. And I'm like, no, I can genuinely tell you, £2,000 a week is our budget, dear. Mm-hmm. And and that is not take-home, that's that's 2000 before tax and national insurance, and we do all that and we pay all that for our players. And it's very, very clear. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is, is since the summer when we, we, we launched the, um, um, the, the equality thing, we, we've picked up a couple of good commercial partners who have, who have put cash into the club. But we've also um, picked up another couple who who are in, who will act as enablers for us and and, and and access and unlock potential other deals. So we're working with a, a very, very big marketing agency um, who gave us huge amounts of time free of charge. 
because they believe in what we're doing. Um, we've just signed the deal with um, Skins, the performance wear uh, company, um, who are providing um, all of our um, performance wear for the club. Uh, and again, you know, um, Skins' values and vision and ethics are very similar to ours. Um, ironically, you know, <laughs> they're owned and, and run by a guy uh, who's got the same surname as me so a lot of people thought oh okay some kind of nepotism but I mean he's, he's a very brash uh, Australian um, who uh, uh, yeah we we, uh, we enjoy having a bit of banter with but they they you know a lot of their stuff it, it, it just matches with us mm-hmm. um, so um, yeah it's uh, it's good it's good at the moment and we're going to continue with transparency we're going to continue trying to push that envelope uh, as and where we can. Mm-hmm. You said uh, you mentioned transparency and honesty there as well, but that's something else I'd, I'd say is progressive. And and you you have your board split into two. Could you perhaps just describe how how that kind of governance structure works and the focus of each of those kind of separate working groups? Yeah. So so how we work is um, um, we have a we have obviously the board, and then within the board, each of the um, people within the board has different responsibilities, and we have. We have a number of different working groups. So I head up um, football. Um, uh, so within that, there are there's a couple of us um, who um, who will look after playing contracts and things like that, and just ensure that there is consistency across the whole club, across all of our teams. You know, we have a team that looks after um, the commercial side of the organisation. We have a team that looks after the academies. And, you know, we each have our own work streams. We each have our own um, uh, priorities and we report back on the priorities. We use uh, an online tool called Slack that, that's really, really good that enables us to, to communicate in, within our small groups and also within our larger group. And then every two weeks we meet as a board. You know, it's very structured. It is, OK, right, let's go through what's the, what's the football plan? You know, what's the, what's the community plan? And we have a, a, a very rolling. Um, it's a it's a three, five, seven year um, business plan, and so each of the individuals within their own areas is responsible for updating the business plan, and then we'll publish that once uh, uh, once a year, mm. um, so people can see that. And mm. um, obviously, you're a you're a board member with SD as well. What kind of support did the club have from from SD when it became supporter owned, and uh, what what's your kind of level of engagement as a club with with SD just now? Um, so I think as a when we were going through the transition period, um, they were invaluable. They put us in touch with a couple of other clubs. Um, so we spoke at length with Wimbledon. We spoke at length with um, FC United. We understood, you know, the kind of model that we wanted to put in place and. And their support was fantastic. Um, and, you know, we'll always remember that. And I think that, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to join the board was to to, to, to give something back, to, to be able to to help the rest of the supporter-owned network in, in giving them some advice, giving them, um, you know, just some encouragement about ways in which they could manage um, uh, their organisation and, and ways in which they could sort of try and... Um, push through the ceiling and do things a little bit differently. And I think that, um, that that's really key to me. Um, so, so there's, there's sort of two aspects to the supporters direct. I see the first is the, it's the, 
there's almost like a um, governance um, um, layer. But there also needs to be um, more of an innovation layer. And that's certainly something I'm working quite a lot with James Matthew on. In fact, you know, we had a we had a meeting over a couple of beers about that last night about ideas in which we can really sort of push the supporters direct uh, messages. We're not just here, you know, to, to, to help the club survive. We're here to help the club grow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm really interested in. It's going to meet clubs and it's, it's 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 understanding their business plan and getting them to try and realise the 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 inner potential they have and and getting them to ask you know ask those questions again about the why not and things like that. I think in doing the, the, the kind of things you've described um, you know, already, you know, those, those the types of creative, innovative ideas that you've implemented at Lewis and, and had great success from, I think that's as much of an inspiration as anything uh, in terms of giving advice and, and, and showing people some examples about what can be done um, on fairly limited resources. Yeah, I'd I, I say this, it's not one size fits all. Mm. And I think there are some things that we, you know, we'd love to do that we can't do because of where we are and, and who we are and what we do. But I'm sure there's... You know, I'd love to. I, I, I really enjoy going out and meeting the other clubs and uh, and the network events and just um, seeing how we can do things. I, I'm very good friends with a guy um, called Mark Bradley, um, who runs the Fan Experience Company, and I've done a lot of work with him um, as part of his work with the FA. And and certainly, you know, someone like someone like him is also really valuable for clubs to tap into because. Because he goes across all clubs, not just fan-owned clubs, and he can say, "Well, you know, he, he's a he's a Bradford fan at heart, and he can tell you about you know the, the way Bradford uh, are now playing in front of really good crowds because they saw the potential in giving away season tickets and things like that." Um, so he, you know, there's a there's a number of people out there who are really key to being able to grow um, football at all levels. Mm-hmm. We had we had Mark come up and speak at one of our uh, supporter liaison officer development days uh, earlier this year. So I'm wondering oh. if we can perhaps get you up to Scotland, Stuart, to talk to some of our yeah. community clubs up here at some point. Absolutely love to. And as I say, you know, I'm, I'm sort of probably coming up um, once a month as it is. So um, yeah, I'm sure I can do that. Great. Well, we're conscious that you haven't got a huge amount of time, so. <laughs> Alan, you've got a last question, a parting question. Um, I guess what's one thing that uh, you would encourage people to, uh, people other clubs to learn from you, particularly clubs in Scotland where a lot of our listeners are. Um, I think that, and it's interesting. I, 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 I love coming up to, to Scotland to watch football because it's, it, it, it's sort of like overseas, but it's not overseas. You <laughs> see what I mean? It's a it's different exotic. environment and things like that. <laughs> and you know, you've, there's some absolutely fantastic grounds. You know. Um, Things like breaking and and you know and there's just so much sort of like history in some of those. To me, it's about um, you, you you sit in this environment where you have these two, you know, overbearing huge giant clubs that that essentially seem to be as you know on one hand divisive, but on the other hand, you know, sort of supporting the the infrastructure. And I think to me that the, the key message um, I would look at developing with the clubs is, is how to engage with that younger audience. It's about how to get the people who can't get to Celtic or can't get to Rangers, how do you get them through the door? How do you get them to bring their parents in through the door to spend the money? 
Um, and I think in some ways, you know, clubs have to tear up their their rule book and say, okay, fine, well, you know, we've always charged five pounds for juniors to come in. Well, heck, you know, give them a free season ticket next year. What, what you know, yeah, fine. You're gonna you maybe see a hundred quid you're gonna lose on a per game basis from what's coming in terms of uh, admission fees, gate receipts, but. If you're getting 50 or 60 new fans coming through the door, it will soon mount up as to how much money you're getting coming back in. The last, the last cool. thing I, that I remember you saying, um, I think Mark, Mark quoted you, as I mentioned, at that SLO day. He said, go niche or go home, uh, uh, yeah. which, which I think is a great lesson for all of our clubs. It's get big, get niche or get out. Oh, so close. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we'll let we'll edit that bit out. <laughs> All right. Great to talk to you, Stuart. Thanks, Stuart. Okay. All See the you later. Bye. Bye. Okay, so hope you enjoyed that chat with Stuart Fuller. Um, I love that sound bite at the end there. Um, there's there's nothing more appealing than a great sound bite. Get was it get big, get niche, or get out, or go niche or go home, which I liked as well. I I think I just managed to make that up to be honest. <laughs> but um, his is better. His yeah. is better, and I think it's enough. That's what I've taken away from that, and and you'll know this as well, Alan. But you know, when you speak to um, even supporters, it could be a sports trust or it could be a club. You know, they're both trying to get members in some way, that or you know, new people through the gate. So. He's absolutely right. Traditional football, what would you expect in a match day programme? You expect a, an interview of a player about yeah. what their favourite type of pasta is or something. Yeah. And then, you know, just completely throwing that all on its head and just do something completely different, rip up the rule book, and it works, you know. And and as we say, they weren't a club that he'd even heard of before his mate suggested he go and join. And now we would say they're kind of one of the flagship clubs for the supporter ownership movement. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the thing I said early on in the interview was absolutely correct. I'm thinking of going down there and watching it. That just sounds great. It just sounds lively. It sounds distinctive. Sounds, you know, just a fresh approach to football. Um, you know, just challenge every single assumption that you you have about what it means to be a football club, what it means to be uh, a football supporter, and do things differently. Do things that will appeal to people. You know, try out lots of different things. See what works. Um, so it's great. I mean, decent quality food, decent decent beer, um, beach huts, beach huts, beach <laughs> uh, and and a program that you'd actually buy for a reason other than just to collect it. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's fantastic. There's a lot. There's a lot for Scottish football to learn from that, isn't there? I think it's a lot for football anywhere to learn from that approach. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's really good. Mm -hmm. Well, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, as we say, we're we're trying to get Stuart up to Scotland for an event. Um, in the future. I think there's lots that our community-owned clubs in Scotland could learn from. Um, and as, as Alan says, the, the wider football as well, even from a marketing perspective. So that, you know, really impressive stuff and look forward to getting him up into Scotland at some point soon. If you did enjoy the show, which we hope you did, otherwise you perhaps you wouldn't have listened to the second episode, uh, we hope that you could get involved. As Alan says, the email address is behind the goals at hotmail.com. Um, we're also on Twitter at SUP direct scott which is s-u-p-p -P, direct scott um and we would just encourage any engagement yeah also um subscribe to the podcast so it appears in your feed um we're hoping to get these out roughly once a week so if you subscribe to the the, the podcast feed and uh, then it'll appear automatically as soon as it's available uh, i think the best way of doing that is through itunes um uh, also give us a, a rating and a review there as well and spread the word uh, if you know anybody who you think would like to hear these chats that we have with people from uh, from around football and um, we're trying not to do just do the usual faces as well um, people that are a little bit further afield than uh, than you might expect from a from a Scottish football podcast 
um, please pass the word on and, and let them know about this. Absolutely. We'll be uh, back next week with uh, someone a bit closer to home in uh, Dave Nickel from Smizer Supporters, uh, St. Mirren Supporters Trust, who are obviously involved in a, in a deal to take on the, the long-term ownership of the club there. Um, so that will be a fascinating interview. We hope you, you tune in for that one. But uh, until then, uh, all the best. Yeah, Good and enjoy see. your football.